This message comes from NPR sponsor Carvana, who wants you to know that you can shop for your next car the convenient way, 100% online with Carvana. Carvana has thousands of vehicles that'll fit all sorts of budgets. Visit Carvana.com to shop for vehicles the convenient way. Four years ago, the movie Shazam! was a surprise hit. It was a lighthearted entry in the DC Extended Universe that's often grimmer and grittier in tone. Now, star Zachary Levi returns with a great big cast of characters in a new sequel called Shazam! Fury of the Gods. I'm Glenn Weldon. And I'm Stephen Thompson. Today we are talking about Shazam! Fury of the Gods on Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. Due to some last-minute logistical issues, it's just the two of us today, so... Some of you might not remember every detail of the original Shazam, given that it's been four years and, you know, a few things have gone on in that time. So here is a quick refresher. The first film gave us the origin story of an orphaned teenager named Billy Batson. Basically, Billy gets bestowed with godlike superpowers in such a way that whenever Billy yells the word Shazam, he transforms into a red-suited superhero. Young Billy is played by Asher Angel, while Super Billy takes the form of Zachary Levi, who basically plays a Superman child, a big galoot with big powers, but also the mind of a wisecracking teenager with imposter syndrome. By the end of the first film, our hero uses his powers to transform his young foster siblings into a kind of super team, all of whom must then keep their identities secret while living under the roof of their saintly foster parents. In Shazam! Fury of the Gods, Billy and at least one of his siblings are starting to age out of the foster system while their team struggles to fend off dangers and live double lives in Philadelphia. Their efforts are complicated by the arrival of new villains called Daughters of Atlas. They include Helen Mirren and Lucy Liu, who return to Earth seeking godlike powers and revenge. At the same time, Billy's foster brother Freddy, played by Jack Dylan Grazer as a kid and Adam Brody as a superhero, faces a new set of challenges when he falls for a mysterious new girl at school. She's played by Rachel Zegler. Jaiman Hunsu returns from the first film as the wizard who gave Billy his powers. As with many superhero movies, the plot here is both convoluted and straight forward. The bad guys want death and destruction. Our heroes do their best amid setbacks. Many buildings are toppled along the way. Both Shazam films are directed by David F. Sandberg. This one is written by Henry Gaden, who wrote the first film, as well as Chris Morgan. Shazam! Fury of the Gods is in theaters now. Glenn, what'd you think of the movie? Well, you know, I went back and read my review for NPR of the first one, and uh, there I'm like, hey, yay, goofiness. Finally, whimsy and color and brightness in this universe. And for the sequel, they certainly turned up the volume on the goofiness. They turned up the volume on everything. And when you do that, Mm -hmm. you get some distortion. You get some fuzziness. I am here for this movie on paper in theory, but as executed here, not so much. I mean, I've said before that during the grim, gritty, dark, grayish, brown era of Zack Snyder DC films, I was out here wishing we'd lighten up a little bit. I wished on a monkey's paw because I got my wish, but the Frogert <laughs> is also cursed. I like the choice to go lighter. I'm always going to like the choice to go lighter, but I kind of hate the specific choices that are made here by Zachary Levi. And I say choices, there's just the one choice. There's just the one note, just the one joke over and over again. Mm-hmm. The character says something dumb, makes a pop culture reference that this ancient god played by Helen Mirren kind of squints quizzically at. Okay, look, I might not have as much experience as you because I'm not like super old like you, but I think I have a few experiences that you don't have. Because I've seen all of the Fast and the Furious movies, lady. And let me tell you something. It's all about family. 
lather, rinse, repeat. Just do that 130 times once per minute. That's your movie. That's unfair. There's some good jokes here. There's some good heroic sequences of them saving people. But I just think this movie is so eager to indulge Levi's sticky, mugging, go-for-the-jugular approach, which kind of leaves him you know, alone on screen. Everyone around him is stranded. They're talking to themselves. And it seems like the only one who is remotely on his wavelength is Grazier, who plays young Freddie Freeman. But the same mistake is happening there. He has similarly been directed to take what he did in the first film and just go bigger and steer harder into this nerdy shtick that comes off his caricature. So he's playing the kind of nerd that you'd see on a Disney Channel sitcom in 2006. This whole thing, that central impulse to just indulge the actors to go bigger kind of left a bad taste in my mouth. Yeah, boy, I came down basically identically. I found the first film really refreshing, as you said, as kind of counter-programming against so many of the other films in that DC universe that had that Zack Snyder effect. Everything is big and grim and gritty. And also the movie is two hours and 57 minutes long. You know, Mm. the first movie and the sequel are both a little closer to two hours and as such have kind of a knockabout charm Mm. that I find really refreshing compared to that much heavier and much more portentous feel of a lot of films in this universe. But I agree with you that this film is always trying to do 20% too much. Mm -hmm. And as such, it loses that shagginess. Part of the fun of the origin story in the first film is that these are modest characters, you know, kind of playing around with these ideas for the first time. And this movie, as you said, it dials up the wisecracking a lot. Zachary Levi's whole manner here is so much doofier. And you have a little bit of a natural issue that was bound to happen where the conceit of this story is you have like a gawky teenager who gets to kind of live that big style fantasy of suddenly you're this awesome adult, right? Mm -hmm. Part of the problem is that Asher Angel is now, you know, he's 18 when this film was made. He looks a little older. Zachary Levi is now in his forties and you're starting to get this thing of like, an adult living out the fantasy of being an older adult. It it doesn't, it doesn't really quite, the magic of it isn't as much there just in part due to the natural fact of these actors aging beyond where this story wants them to be. I found that created a little more of a disconnect that I didn't have watching the first film. It also kind of, as you said, Glenn, there's a little bit of a tendency to underline every joke. Mm -hmm. There is a really, really blatant product placement in this film. You will know it when you see it. They construct a couple of jokes around that product placement and they manage to recite the slogan of the product they're placing as a joke. And you're like, okay guys. (laughs) And then like a minute and a half later, they repeat it Again. And it's just a perfect example of like, if you just hadn't done that joke the first time, it would pay off. The joke when you repeated it would have paid off and would have been funnier and would have been worth this really blatant product placement. But there is just this tendency of like, the movie seems to fall in love with every joke so much that it repeats it three times. Yeah. And I didn't feel like the first film did that as much. I think what you're speaking to there is that the fuel mixture is off. The first movie was really Mm -hmm. equal parts Angel and Levi. Here, Angel gets maybe five minutes of screen time. It's all Levi all the time, and it is the one joke. In the first film, it didn't matter to me 
that Levi as an actor was making no attempt for his super Billy performance to even vaguely gesture toward anything that Asher Angel was doing as Teenage Billy for a very nerdy reason. That because for the first 40 years of this character in the comics, the notion that he was actually Billy grown up was not a thing. Captain Marvel, as we called him back then, because we could, and now we can't because lawyers. <laughs> but Captain Marvel was just this other dude who shows up, and it, nobody questioned it because nobody looked that deeply into comics back then. And then in the 80s, they introduced this idea that this hero is actually Billy grown up, you know, with a child's brain in a man's body. Um, I just don't get that here. And it's uh, you're right, it's, it's compounded here, which is one reason I think they kind of sidelined Asher Angel. I think it's very possible that at some point Adam Brody took Jack Dylan Grazer, they both play Freddy, out for a beer to discuss what's your approach, dude? Because mm-hmm. they kind of vibe. Brody is just Freddy without the nerdy shtick. But if Levi and Angel ever sat down together, there was no evidence on screen. I don't believe for a second right. that Levi is Angel in a man's body because in part because Angel is Angel in a man's body now, as you say. And he's not playing a man boy. He's playing a mad toddler. He's playing an idiot mm-hmm. that the character of Asher Angel isn't. Yeah. Bah. And, and, and man, I mean, it is a steep acting challenge, right? Mm-hmm. To play a character through the prism of another character. That is a difficult thing. We've, we've certainly seen actors pull it off in different movies and TV shows. As you say, they don't really attempt that here. And so, you know, they're doing a, a good enough job with their exposition that it's at least you're able to follow who's who. Mm-hmm. Like you say, I think the fuel mixture is off. And speaking of the fuel mixture, we're getting a lot of characters here and we're getting new characters. We're getting Helen Mirren. We're getting Lucy Liu. We're getting Rachel Zegler. How did the introduction of these new characters work for you? I mean, it just seems kind of by the numbers, right? These are just uh, superhero movie villains. And, and, you know, it's Helen Mirren and she can bring some gravitas to any damn thing, even if she's sitting at a, a cheesesteak place uh, <laughs> and <laughs> and getting uh, her uh, her butt handed to her or, or handing somebody else their butt. Um, yeah, I, I just thought it was all, you know, nobody really scintillated for me. Nobody stood out. I just thought Lucy Liu was playing what the character that Lucy Liu would play if she was an ancient uh, god. <laughs> and Rachel Zegler is bringing this kind of earnestness, this sweetness, which is supposed to go well with the Freddie Freeman character. I don't know. Nothing popped for me. How about with you? Any character stand out? Um, I like the energy that Rachel Zegler is giving sure. to this role. I feel like what Helen Mirren and Lucy Liu are doing is pretty boilerplate. We've certainly seen very similar villains in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I didn't feel any any particular surprise in the Mirren or the Lou performances, but I did kind of like the energy that Zegler was bringing. Mm-hmm. And this is a very nerdy point, but I'm going to make it because I am, after all, me. One of the things that really nagged me in the first film is how dumb Zachary Levi's character as the hero is. Because canonically, uh, Shazam is an acronym. He's supposed to have the wisdom of Solomon, the strength of Hercules, the stamina of Atlas, the power of Zeus, the courage of Achilles, and the speed of Mercury. Check, 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 except for wisdom of Solomon. That's a mishmash of mythologies and and pantheons there, I, I realize. But like, wisdom of Solomon, this guy's an idiot. That is finally in this film addressed here for those who have been crying out for it, as I have. So (laughs) points to that. Points to finally addressing that what was a monumental oversight, I think, in the first film. Yeah, and they they managed to wring a few cute jokes out of that. Mm -hmm. I got to say, one of the things that I have found moving about this franchise is kind of bringing in the idea of chosen family and found family. And I did find a couple of the scenes with the foster family to be very moving and sweet. 
And there is a scene kind of late in this film where I found myself having a, a pretty strong emotional reaction in a movie that otherwise is <laughs> not serving strong emotional reactions. I did like that element of it. And I hope that assuming they kind of continue this franchise, and I think we can agree the DC movie universe is in a certain amount of flux. Yeah, definitely. If they continue down this road, I, I hope they keep leaning into that because I think that stuff is really sweet. I did miss the Foster Family stuff. There was much less of it in this film. You're right. All right. Well, we want to know what you think about Shazam! Fury of the Gods. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash PCHH. Up next, what is making us happy this week? Life doesn't come with an instruction manual, but the Life Kid podcast gets you pretty close. Whether we're helping you tackle life-altering questions or just your everyday pickles, we've got deeply human solutions to your deeply human problems. Listen now to the Life Kit Podcast from NPR. Listening to the news can feel like a journey. The 1A Podcast is here to guide you beyond the headlines and to cut through the noise. Listen to 1A, where we celebrate your freedom to listen by getting to the heart of the story together. Only from NPR. The news affects your life. But your life isn't the news. That's why our podcast, Here and Now, Anytime, gives you a new perspective on the big stories of the day, but also stories about video games, stories about romance novels, and stories about music. Here and Now, Anytime, a podcast from NPR and WBUR that's into the things you're into, not just the news. Now it's time for our favorite segment of this week and every week. What is making us happy this week? Glenn Weldon, what's making you happy this week, buddy? Inside is a film that's in theaters now in limited release. It stars Willem Dafoe as an art thief who gets trapped inside this amazing uh, high-tech penthouse apartment that's filled with all these priceless works of art when he trips the alarm. So the film, the entire film is just him, just Dafoe on screen for 105 minutes minus a dream sequence or two. And he's there trying to figure out how to get out as the days pass and his food and water run out and the temperature controls in the apartment start going nuts. Dafoe, it's Dafoe. He's always fascinating to watch. He makes big choices. And here he's playing someone who gets increasingly desperate and increasingly unhinged as the days pass. And I've read some reviews from folks who aren't willing to go on this journey. And that's fair. I mean, understand, you will feel those days pass. You will feel the weight of them. That is the entire point. And as it goes on, the film starts to play with notions of art and life and death and whatever might lie beyond it. It is a very small film with great big ideas and Defoe really holds your attention, holds the screen. And so if you're up for it and not everyone will be, it is definitely worth seeking out that is inside in theaters now. Well, if I'm going to spend 105 minutes with one actor, Willem Dafoe would not be a bad choice. Absolutely right. Nice. All right. Well, what is making me happy is the long-awaited new season of Louder Than a Riot, mm -hmm. an NPR music podcast about the intersection of hip-hop and incarceration in America. Obviously, I am biased. These are my colleagues. These are my friends. But this is a phenomenal show. Season one took this fascinating deep dive into the way that hip-hop lyrics can be used as evidence in criminal cases. It reported news. It made news. It won awards. It generally made us proud and made us very excited about season two. The first episode of season two dropped this Thursday, and it goes even deeper. I maybe already even like it more. It starts with the trial of Tory Lanez, who was convicted of shooting Megan the Stallion, uses that trial as a jumping off point 
into some kind of surprising directions. It it examines hip-hop's relationship with women, and I think as the season progresses more and more with queer people. Listening to that first episode, it's amazing how much this show sounds so effortless and conversational. Sydney Madden and Rodney Carmichael are the hosts, and they talk to each other, and a producer, Gabby Bulgarelli, who is great here. They're untangling extremely complex ideas about race and gender, fandom, toxicity, and so much more in a way that feels effortless, but clearly is not effortless. Mm -hmm. So much reporting and editing and hosting talent went into making this show great. I just savored that first episode. I can't wait to hear more each week. That's louder than a riot from several of my smartest pals at NPR Music. I am so happy to hear their hard work out in the world. And that is what is making me happy this week. If you want links for what we recommended, plus some more recommendations, sign up for our newsletter at npr.org slash newsletter. That brings us to the end of our show. Glenn Weldon, thanks so much for being here. Thank you, pal. This episode was produced by Mike Katzif and edited by Jessica Reedy. Hello, Come In provides our theme music. Thanks for listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. I'm Stephen Thompson, and we will see you all next week. This message comes from NPR sponsor NetSuite by Oracle. You look around your business and see inefficiency everywhere. So you should know these numbers. 37,000, the number of businesses which have upgraded to NetSuite by Oracle. 25, NetSuite just turned 25. That's 25 years of helping businesses streamline their finances and reduce costs. One, because your unique business deserves a customized solution. And that's NetSuite. Learn more at netsuite.com story. On the StoryCorps podcast, we believe a lot of the most interesting stories are right there in front of us, waiting to be told. So every week, we share a candid, unscripted conversation between two people around the themes of love, loss, family, and friendship. These aren't experts or celebrities, just everyday people like you and me. Listen now to the StoryCorps podcast from NPR.